А теперь, начиная наше богослужение, я попрошу всех встать, и мы провластим неизменный манифест «Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах». Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуется пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь. Можете садиться. Yeah. 
Сердцем я благодарю. 
of you who have a Bible, you can open along with me a familiar place of scripture for us that contains a depth of unknown yet mysteries of God for us. Matthew chapter 5 verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good 
and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The perfection of the heavenly Father lays outside of the limits of our reasonable abilities. And this is the great mystery that God reveals deeper and more wider. How an earthly person according to his perfection is able to become equal and likened to the Heavenly Father. Therefore, the sermon that I would like to continue is called Call to Perfection. To fulfill this command, we have stopped to study the purpose of God's righteousness in the heart of a person. What purpose is the righteousness of God in our heart intended to fulfill? And specifically, we have been studying that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony in which we, with the law, died to the law, so that we could live for the one who died and rose, is comprised of us receiving the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets that are intended to give God the basis to give us the promise, not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. Apostle Paul in Romans 4.13 says, For the promise that we would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We must know that the righteousness of faith in our heart is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God that is placed or that is presented in the gospel word of the messenger of God in the face of a person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. And so the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who obey the order of God, cooperation with which he sends us his word through the mouth of the messengers of God. Therefore, in this manner, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God because the faith of God is the Word of God and our faith is just obedience or submission to the Word of God that is called the faith of God. To test a person to determine if God has truly set him to represent the powers of his Word should be done according to the order outlined in Scripture and by the anointing in our heart that is present to aid us in knowing the voice of God and the mouth of a person who represents the fatherhood of God. 1 John 2, 18-26 Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. The Antichrist, who are these Antichrists? They came out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Through righteousness of faith and the, co the covenant of peace presented in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and serve as evidence in the heart of a person that he is a child of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace that abides in the covenant of peace are in fact the riches of our hope in God that contain all the promises of God that yield the purpose of righteousness or the goals of righteousness. In this manner, it is righteousness through the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can keep our hearts and thoughts in Jesus Christ. 
And then he is going to carry responsibility for us before God, before the earth, and before the underworld. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving means that a person specifically knows that already on his account, in his account in Christ Jesus, these promises have been placed, and they are his belonging. Therefore, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. The peace of God can only guard those thoughts in Christ Jesus that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, because they do not submit to the law of God and are incapable of doing so. And so, despite the desire of man, he cannot be found in Christ Jesus because of this. This is Romans 8, 6-8. And from this passage we note that people who do not allow the truth of the gospel word and the power of the Holy Spirit to renew their thinking with the spirit of their mind have no relation to the peace of God whatsoever. And consequently, they have no relation to the sons of peace who through the peace of God inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We must understand, firmly understand, that through the cooperation of our hearts with our spirit and our thoughts that are found in Christ Jesus, we are called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies into the resurrection of Christ. However, to better understand the purpose that righteousness pursues in the realization of the inheritance of the peace of God and the conditions that highlight how our righteousness must be clothed in this peace to meet the requirements of the perfection of our Heavenly Father, we arrived at the need to study four classic questions. First, with what properties does the scripture endow the peace of God? Second, what powers does the peace of God have in relation to man with God and man with man? And man with the whole earth? Third, what conditions must be fulfilled so that we are clothed in the peace of God that is called to keep our minds in God? And fourth, according to what things shall we test ourselves to see if we are the sons of peace and the sons of God? Considering that we can test our only ourselves, we cannot test another person because we do not know what is in man except the spirit of a man living in him itself. Because according to the reign of the peace of God in our heart, we must define in ourselves if we are the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. Despite this, we have noted that if a person has not died to his nation, his household, and his corrupt desires, then the justification that he accepted in salvation through faith in Christ Jesus will never be transformed into the quality of righteousness in which he would be able to bring fruit of peace. And therefore, these kinds of people will lose the promise that gives them the right to be called sons of God. Revelation 3.11 Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown.
We must remember that the promise of peace gains its powers and legitimacy only through righteousness of faith in the covenant of peace, which places a responsibility on both sides of the law, in which each side of the law is responsible for fulfillment of their role and if one of the sides violates the agreement made in the covenant of peace between God and man and this violation can only occur from man's position and the second position in the face of God is freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the agreement of the covenant of peace therefore the property of the peace of God in the heart of a person testifies that this person is a peacemaker or the son of peace which serves for God as a foundation to endow us with the virtue of the name of his son so that we could share with him the fulfillment of all that is written of him and the laws, prophets and psalms because the justification we received through the right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth transformed into a quality of righteousness in which we became able to bring the fruit of peace in our relationship with God and those who surround us. As it is written, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12:14. So the peace we are supposed to have peace along with holiness. Holiness is going to define what kind of peace we must have. And therefore, in this case, we are referring to a kind of peace that can be created only in the boundaries of holiness or expressed in holiness, the limits of which are yielded by the commandments of God that contain the justice of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12:18. So here it is clearly said that it is not possible to have peace with everyone. And the peace that we demonstrate that is outside of the limits of holiness and is not an expression of holiness is lawlessness for which we must pay the price of eternal life. Because our fellowship with people whose scripture refers to as evil company will corrupt good habits and it transforms us into their evil image. To not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. So when we have fellowship with these kind of people, then we are sinning. I speak this to your shame, not all of you know God. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34. Some people don't know God and they understand the holiness of God when they call people, a person holy, a person, this person who has left his church. This person who does not agree with the teaching and with he tries to teach his own opinion. A member in the church cannot define what is good and what is evil. He does not have a right to this. My hands cannot define what is good and what is bad. My eyes can't even define this. My ears, nor my nose, nor my legs, nor my inner organs. 
this my head defines. Why do we think that in the body of Christ, the church is the body of Christ? Why do we think that any member of the church, any member of the body, has its, his own head? Can you imagine what delusion this would be? This would not be a body that has one head, but it would be everyone having their own head. People say, I have my own head. Yes, of course, you have your own head. This is for your this, in the physical dimension and so forth. But in order to worship God, in order to be a partaker of the body of Christ, there is only one head, Christ, who has his own representative in every congregation, who is anointed and who is given the heart of the Father. And therefore, it is impossible and a crime to have peace with the wicked, who had accepted the truth at some point, but then left their assembly and turned away from the holy commandments. Because the fact that they are resisting the words of the messengers of God established over them testifies of the loss of peace in their heart and it refers them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20-21. This is also written in Isaiah 49 and other, many other places of Scripture. God affirms that there is no peace for the wicked. And the wicked is somebody who says, I have my own head. He places his own head in place of the head that has been established by God as the messenger. The wicked is the one who places himself in place of the messenger of God without being sent by God. In previous services, we in a certain format as far as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied the first three questions and let us continue to study the fourth question specifically according to what things should we test ourselves to see if we are the sons of peace and the sons of God who are called to share the inheritance with Christ that is contained in the laws, prophets, and psalms. We have noted that the limits or the boundaries of holiness in which peacemakers like their Heavenly Father practice peace are the limits of the commandments of the Lord in the format of the commanding teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. The weapon with which the sons of peace practice peace in the limits of the commandments of the Lord is the righteousness of their faith. We have already studied six signs by which we must judge that we are the sons of peace and therefore the sons of God. We have stopped to study the seventh sign. Specifically, the seventh sign by which we must judge of our partaking to the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. You see, in one body, where there is one head, Colossians 3:14-15. We have noted that according to this passage, the rule of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition, if we are clothed in the selective love of God, and if the selective love of God abides in us.
God without us cannot reign the selective love of God in our hearts and he cannot clothe us into it. Just as we ourselves without him, we cannot be filled with the love of God and be clothed in it. On its own, the selective love of God is the incomprehensible to our mind goodness of God or the virtue inherent in God. This is the goodness of God. For the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, contains good, wonderful, eternal, and incomprehensible to our mind goals of God that are called to build unique and peaceful relations between God and His children with his kind, with his own. Providing a purpose for the selective love of God shown in Christ Jesus that surpasses all our understanding and is contained beyond the comprehension of the abilities of our mind, Apostle Paul said that the achievement of gaining the love of God is called to fill us with all the fullness of the peace of God, so to make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But to achieve the selective love of God that will make us perfect just as our Heavenly Father is perfect, it is necessary to be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit in our inner man. And this is possible only when the Holy Spirit is not as a not lit does not live as a guest in us, but as our master. Because a guest, there is a, a slogan, the first, second day you're a guest, but the third day you're not a guest anymore. This is a slogan. But the Holy Spirit, mind you, is a guest only on one day, the day you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And on the second day, if you do not accept Him as Master, He will depart because His purpose is to come and to take you and to lead you to the groom. Take a look, Eleazar, he came, and how many nights did he spend in the home of Laban and Bethuel, the, brother, the brothers and fathers of Rebekah? One night. They had asked him, please stay longer. He said, no. My purpose is to take the bride away from here. Well, all right, let's ask her, will the bride go? And they asked her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. This person whom she had never seen ever to the person who is older than her, almost 30 years older. 20-something years he was older than her, Isaac was. And she had never seen him. And she said, I will go. And this was a woman who was a beauty in the southern region. Some of the richest men looked upon her, princes. They, she was their favorite, and all of a sudden she says, I will go to the person who does not live nearby, who lives in a tent. What happened with this woman, with this virgin? How did she, going against her parents, against her brother, these authorities, how was she able to agree to leave her house, her nation, and to follow Eleazar? I just want to show you that the Holy Spirit, as a guest, abides only one day at the time of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in many churches who are baptized in the Holy Spirit and who call themselves Pentecostals, although there are many Catholics nowadays who are baptized in the Holy Spirit and many other people, many other denominations. They remain to be called Catholics and Baptists, but they still speak in tongues. That's why this does not just belong to Pentecostals, 
but they always sing in their songs, The Holy Spirit, you are a guest of the heaven. And in every service, they invite him as a guest. They say, let's invite the Holy Spirit to this place. You see, uh, it's as if he's not there and they need to invite him. But when he is in you as master and Lord, and you are gathering in the assembly to glorify him, you don't need to invite this master. The master can invite you, but you have no right to invite him. He is master. Can you imagine that you go into a house of a rich person, a king, and you begin to invite him? to do certain things in this home. Oh, king, master, guest, I invite you to go eat in your own dining room. What is this going to look like in the home, in the courts of the king who you are a guest at? You invite him to go eat. How are people able, how do people say, Holy Spirit, we invite you? And each time when, every time when I was still young, I always thought, interesting, they invited him, but then they left. I always looked around, and I spoke to myself, and I spoke with the Holy Spirit. I knew, and I said, come with me. They have left you. They didn't tell you what, what else to do. They invited you as a guest, and they didn't tell you where to go. I want you to always be with me. I didn't understand these things back then. But logically, I understood this, this thought. And then when I began to be older, older, and I asked this question, I was looked upon, uh, and I was people ashamed me. The brothers said to me, what kind of questions do you ask us? Their heresy, and I, I was, I was scared. I quieted, but deep within, I wanted the Holy Spirit to not be my guest. I wanted Him to always be with me, so that I could communicate with Him. Beginning at a young age, I loved to just walk around and to speak with Him, and He answered me. He spoke with me as a child. And sometimes I heard this in myself, and sometimes I heard this voice even as a child from outside. But as I have said, in order to comprehend the selective love of God according to the words of Apostle Paul, we need to, with the Spirit of a God, be strengthened with the might through the Holy Spirit in our inner man, that by nature is akin to the nature of God, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 16 through 19 we have already noted that the phrase that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints is a condition to being clothed or acknowledging with our heart the selective love of God this phrase points the necessity of finding narrow gates in the face of a good wife the image of which is the bride of the lamb in the face of all saints who are part of the category of God's chosen remnants he who finds a wife finds a good thing see who has he has found grace and obtains favor from the Lord Proverbs 18:22. and to find a good thing and obtain favor from the Lord 
For it to reign in us through righteousness is to find the treasure of the kingdom of heaven on our field and to purchase this field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew 13:44. He on his field has discovered the kingdom of heaven. But this field does not belong to him. This is the body of a person of the ground. The field is the body, but it does not belong to him. And then he sells all that he has in order to gain this kingdom of heaven. It cannot be gained without the field because it belongs to the field. This promise, the kingdom of heaven, belongs to our redeemed body, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And from the meaning of this parable, it follows that if a person does not find the treasure of the kingdom of heaven hidden in a field, he will not be able to use the grace of God in the face of a virtuous wife to realize his salvation. He can be found in this church, but he will not be able to use the grace finding a good wife. He is not going to be able to use the grace that comes from her so that he can inherit this kingdom of heaven if he doesn't he can't do this if he doesn't find and gain this field the image of the field that contains the treasure of the kingdom of heaven is the image of our body that is contained under the rule of the law of sin and death but at the door of our hope contains a promise that is called to free it from the law of sin and death under the condition that on this field in the virtue of our earthly body which the promise of the kingdom of heaven belongs to and is called to free our earthly body from the law of sin and death we sell all that we have in the face of our nation the house of our Father and our carnal life. And therefore, finding a good wife is making a marital contract or a marital union with a specific congregation of saints that meet the requirements of being God's chosen remnant. According to Scripture, the selective love of God as a true virtue that is obtained by a good wife is goodness that is grown from knowledge of God by hearing the gospel word of the kingdom of heaven inside a person. However, to arrive at a more practical reality regarding the selective love of God, we will go deeper and deeper into the character and property of God's selective love in the light of the true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture through the evangelized word of the apostles and prophets. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8 through eight. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. If these promises are realized, then we, through these promises, are going to be made partakers of God's essence. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control 
patience, to perseverance, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the meaning of the above-mentioned text, it follows that each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues, because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. Second, these virtues are the moral perfection and standards that are inherent to the essence of God. That are inherent to the essence of God. Third, these virtues are the great and precious promises given to us through Christ. Fourth, these promises are the incorruptible treasures and riches which we must become enriched with. Fifth, we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit or by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. Sixth, the means we are called to enact for the acceptance of the power of the Holy Spirit is our faith or the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and previous pro and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. For a true virtue is expressed in the seven dignities and characteristics of the selective love of God has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. And so the selective love of God is the transcendent holy love that abides in inaccessible light and comes from the goodness of God, the dignity of which is defined by the great mystery of God hidden in the work of His redemption. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, God demonstrates his selective love of God in that he came in the flesh to his chosen remnants. He was justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We began to study the selective love of God in the format of seven virtues we must demonstrate in our faith to reign the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly bodies into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. Which we have grown by cooperating with the truth of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And for this purpose, we first distinguish the difference between the selective love of God from the tolerant love of man. Because the dignities of the selective love of God do not go hand in hand with what man calls love. Because the dignities of the selective love of God are the characteristics of God Himself as well as all that comes from God, because God is love. So the love of God is first and foremost holy. And what is if, if it's holy, it cannot be tolerant. And this love that is inherent to God's goodness is defined by Scripture as the bond of all perfection. As we have read, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God in the seven virtues is unconditional. It is unconditional only in this dimension, only in these virtues, not 
in these dignities, not itself. By itself, it is selective, but in the dimension of the seven virtues, it is unconditional. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional, selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. Whereas the tolerant love of man toward man can be easily used for selfish purposes. Here are how the pages of scripture define the strength of the holy love of God, agape. Songs of Solomon 8, 6-7 Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Such an unconditional selective love of God can be both accepted and transmitted, not otherwise than on the basis of absolute and judicious goodwill. The level of the love of God is defined by the level of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and those who practice evil. God loves those who love Him, and He hates those who hate Him. Because only by loving what God loves and hating what God hates do we express God's reaction to good and evil. In a certain format, we have already studied the expression of the selective love of God in virtue, knowledge, self-control, and we have stopped to study patience. So that by the level of manifestation of the patience of Christ in our heart, we can test ourselves for the level of the presence of the selective love of God in our heart. To study the patience of Christ as an expression of the love of God, we turn to certain evidences out of Scripture that could show us in what case and how does the love of God express itself in the patience of Christ. In a certain format, we have already studied three characteristics in which the patience of Christ expresses itself in the selective love of God. And the first thing we paid attention to is the fact that the selective love of God expressing the patience of Christ in our heart is called to flow through long-suffering with joy through which we could thank our God and Father for our partaking to the inheritance of the saints in the light. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Colossians 1, 10-12 So, in all long-suffering with joy, this means that when we accept some kind of promise, this does not mean that it is supposed to be immediately fulfilled right now when it is necessary for us and when we want it to be fulfilled. We must understand, as I have said, if we accept the prayer about healing, the prayer of healing, then this prayer is active in the long run. Since you have accepted it, God has heard it. Now God is going to observe 
Are you going to await in patience with long-suffering with joy? Or are you going to be disturbed, distressed? Why do I not have healing? Why does it not come? Why is it not coming? But in fact, it has already come. It is already placed on your accounts. And it can come only when God wants it to and how He wants it to come. That's why each time when I pray for saints, I say, if you don't receive healing immediately, it has begin to work. Go to the doctor and listen to the doctors. God is going to heal you in this way. But people want prayer to work immediately. If it doesn't work immediately, they say, God doesn't hear, God hasn't heard this messenger of God. God hears prayer. The prayer of a righteous can do many things. This particular passage means that we are supposed to demonstrate the love of God in patience. How do we demonstrate it if we receive our healing with a magic wand? We are prayed for and we receive healing right away. We don't have to endure anything, to be patient for anything. And we don't have to thank God for what we have and call the inexistent as existent and we receive it right away. The patience of Christ and the selective love of Christ is based on the supernatural ability to see our inheritance or our calling in God with the eyes of God and await with hope for the fulfillment of what is seen. The Greek word, patience, as we know, identifies a true virtue. And in the selective love of God, it means to look with the eyes of God, to cherish time, distinguish the times, await with joy, await with hope, to do in time, to abide in the order of God. From this passage, it follows that the selective love of God expressed in the patience of Christ is called to be expressed in all things tied to the cooperation of our eyes with the eyes of God and waiting for the Son of God to come from heaven in time, who delivers us from the wrath to come, to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, to await means to be patient, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. From this verse it follows that all patience expressed in the selective love of God is tied to waiting with a certain hope about which a person is well informed. We know that the main enemy of the patient, selective love of God is our human haste or our impatience proceeding from our own point of view. Impatience expressed in haste is a provocative and disgusting manifestation of the flesh that replaces the fulfillment of the will of God with the fulfillment of our own will. As I have said to you before, when I had just come to America, there were many immigrants and they had all gathered at a church and they called out different preachers who ever called themselves preachers went out to preach and one young person came out and he began to scream. He began to even slobber. He said, I told God his uh, finger had rotten. I, and he, this preacher saying, if you don't heal this finger, I won't believe in you anymore. And this preacher said, I, I, let, I led God into, the, uh, into a fifth angle, a fifth corner of a room. 
And I wanted to, hearing this, I wanted to hit him really hard. How can you bring God into a fifth corner? He doesn't know, this preacher doesn't know that he is in the snares of devil and then he himself is in the fifth corner of a room. By your own words, you will condemn you. How can you say this of God? And people were preached these kind of things. I had read different books of people saying that you must command of God you must say to God, you have wrote it, therefore fulfill it. One preacher had come to us, he had preached, he had thrown the Bible and it had spiraled down and when it hit the ground there was a loud thud and the whole church be- trembled. And he went out, he stood on top of the Bible and he said, Lord, I stand on top of your promises. Everyone was like, oh, it turns out that we must stand on top of the promises of God in this way. We must throw it to the ground and literally step on the Bible. To stand in the promises of God is to obey to the faith of God, to obey to the word of God, and not to throw the Bible under our feet and to trample over it. And this person uh, departed from the Lord. He left the church as we had then heard. He left God. Impatience expressed in haste means that we begin to prematurely fulfill our calling, or rather, not in the time established by God, because of which we fulfill it with incorrect means expressed in what we ourselves envision, which challenges God and violates the unchanging order of God in time. Impatience based on our personal understanding of the truth is controlled by specific religious demons from the air that are professionals in falsifying the truth. Second, the selective love of God expressing the patience of Christ in our heart is tied to waiting for the certain promise of hope of which a person is well informed by being taught in faith. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. Hope is always based on knowledge that comes from a revelation about the future. Therefore, to hope means to trust in the received revelations that are tied to the hope of our trust. When a person trusts in the promises of God that are tied to the revelations of the future inheritance, he builds a foundation for waiting for the fulfillment of what God has promised. The tragedy of impatience lies in the fact that impatience is a voluntary and conscious form conscious form of disobedience to the truth, because a lack of knowledge comes from impatience expressing, expressed in refusing to expand knowledge of God contained in the law of grace that is necessary to worship God and priesthood. Third, the selective love of God, expressing the patience of Christ in our heart, is the knowledge and ability to be found in the right place at the right time through the revelation of the Holy Spirit received by us through the representation of God. You go up to this feast. This is Christ speaking to his disciples. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. John 7, 8. They said, Lord, are you going to this feast? He said, No, you go. My time has not yet come. But in the middle of the feast, he then ended up being in the temple. And he be- not in the beginning of the feast, but in the middle, he then came and began to teach. It is usually said of those people who are found successful, he was at the right place and at the right time. 
A person who has the patience of Christ is a person who has the conduct of Christ, who, through observing the commandments of the Lord, receives the ability to understand and be in the right place and at the right time. Whereas, he who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him when it will occur? Ecclesiastes 8, 5-7. According to this passage, it follows that the great misery an impatient person will endure is comprised of the fact that he does not accept the authority of someone who represents the fatherhood of God over himself, who could teach him what will be and how it will be, so that he could be found in the right place and in the right time, and with patience, wait for what is promised. The lack of wisdom that determines patience leads to unfortunate results. For this reason, many promises of God will either be unclaimed or they are going to be subjected to constant and methodical extermination. It must be noted that this kind of shipwreck in the promises of God often occurs not right away in all spheres, but gradually, bringing death to one promise and then to another, until our heart becomes a, a burial ground where all the promises of God are buried. Because of this, the inheritance of the promises and the calling of many saints to the ministry either was delayed for many years or was coupled with undesirable and painful inclusions or, in general, was utterly forgotten. Fourth, the selective love of God expressing the patience of Christ in our heart is called to grant comfort to our heart in combination with like-mindedness toward one another according to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15, verse 5, letter of Apostle Paul. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. The lack of the combination of comfort with like-mindedness is a lack of the selective love of God in our heart. If, however, we proceed from the semantic opposition of the existing statement, then we come to the following revelation. The devil of all impatience and all frustration through seductive lies imposes and rewards people who are seduced by him with disagreements that are contrary to the teachings of Christ Jesus. The devil of all impatience and all frustration through seductive lies imposes and rewards people who are seduced by him with disagreements that are contrary to the teachings of Christ Jesus. The selective love of God and the patience of Christ in our hearts can be possible thanks to our humility before God expressed in the hearing of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven borne by those people who represent the fatherhood of God for us. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, for to all the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. We find this principle of like-mindedness with one another from Apostle John, in which he represents a person who represents the fatherhood of God, who reads the thoughts of God, and those who hear the words of the thought are blessed. He calls them blessed. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. Blessed is he, he who reads is one, and those who hear the words of this prophecy is plural, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. That is why like-mindedness in assemblies with democratic structures, where people choose pastors by the way of votes, not only is impossible, but it is also unacceptable because the pastor is accountable to the brotherly council, which, like the pastor, is chosen by the members of the church by a majority vote. Therefore, between the majority and the minority of voices, disagreements always remain. These disagreements that are allowed in democratic structures. Considering the definition of Holy Scripture that the Assembly of Saints is the body of Christ, imagine a human body in which a vote is taken for obeying the head between the stem cells of the body. Considering that such absurdity is erected in religious structures and to constitutional law, the possibility of man being built into the sanctuary of God in such an assembly is practically impossible. The fifth, the selective love of God expressing the patience of Christ in our heart is the good and final goal of God toward which He directs the hearts of His children. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10-15 through That I may know Him, this is referring to Christ, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. The patience of Christ is tied to promises of hope that are well known to us and are placed on our account in Jesus Christ and are called to be fulfilled in the time appointed by God. And firstly, it is tied to that promise that is related to the door of our hope and the promise of hope itself that is expressed in meeting the Lord in the air. In the patience of Christ, it is worth paying attention to the fact that it is impossible to press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus if we do not forget past defeats and victories. Because to press toward is to daily pay the necessary price in present time that is comprised of us constantly focusing our thoughts on the promise that relates to the door of hope as well as the promise of hope itself expressed in meeting the Lord in the air. This kind of thinking on one hand is a seal of righteousness on our foreheads and on the other hand it demonstrates the perfection of our Heavenly Father which we are called to. As soon as the organized powers of darkness that act through their governors and satraps in the face of the wicked and lawless people are able to turn our attention to the success of evangelism and the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the goal set for us by God will be lost. And consequently, our salvation will be lost.
We need to know that there exists a huge difference between our patients and the patients of Christ. For example, our patients endures that which the patients of Christ will not endure or bear. And on the contrary, our patients will never endure that which the patients of Christ will endure. Because the patience of Christ is the ability to act according to the requirements of the will of God that are well known to us, as we, with joy and thanksgiving, wait for the fulfillment of the promises of the Heavenly Father in the time and place established by Him, which will give God the basis to demonstrate His thanksgiving toward us for our faithfulness shown to Him and the magnanimity of our patience. And God's thanksgiving and answer to us will be comprised of the fact that He will fulfill for us the calling that relates to the door of our hope, which will be a guarantee that we are going to be raptured to meet the Lord in the clouds. We must know that human impatience to the divine foundations of purity and truth as a rule is expressed in his tolerance, expressed in patience to endure corruption and use emotional factors of human love in his selfish and ignorant goals. Whereas the patience of Christ is the result that comes from expressing the selective love of God agape that does not endure corruption and long suffers and has mercy only when repentance is present. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. He who has an ear, let him ear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation 2, 2 and 7. He who overcomes is someone who has demonstrated faithfulness to God till the end, or has been patient till the end. This kind of victor will be allowed to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To eat from the tree of life means with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus to be freed from the law of sin and death. Sixth, the selective love of God expressing the patience of Christ in our heart is the ability by eagerly waiting to activate the return of Christ for His church. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Hebrews 9, verse 28. He will appear to those who eagerly wait for Him waiting for the salvation of our body and the magnanimity of our patience is called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ to activate the return of Christ for his bride until Christ is reigned in our hearts and we are clothed into the resurrection of Christ Christ will not return God will not send him to take us he will send him for that small flock that will experience this, that is going to realize this promise. Because waiting for the promise known to us that is clearly engraved on the tablets of our heart and demonstrated in our patience is the desire expressed before God in our distress and he fulfills the salvation we are waiting for in our bodies. And such distress is not one-sided. God in Christ Jesus is also distressed until he fulfills the adoption and resurrection of our body that is called to, that is so desired by us. I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. 
but I have a baptism to be baptized with. How distressed I am until it is accomplished. Luke 12, 49-50. And so those who wait for the return of Christ and salvation are those saints who have been made like people who wait for their master to return from the wedding. Pay attention here from the wedding, from the wedding feast, when the wedding feast will end. When the wedding feast will end, the wedding feast is when God will finally establish this promise in this wedding feast. And as soon as people eat this promise on the wedding feast, He is going to return from the wedding to gather the saints because this marriage occurs here on earth. Otherwise, how can someone end up in heaven without the garments of a bride? And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, that they may open to him immediately. Luke 12:36. So when he comes and knocks, this is not referring to the rapture. This is referring to the promise relating to the door of our hope. When he comes and he knocks, so this promise could be given. He is not going to come and give it without a knock. We are supposed to work, cooperate with him. We must open our own door. We've already talked about how just as God does not place his wisdom into a foolish heart that has not been cleansed from dead works, he will also never knock on a door that is not made of cedar that is yielded by the circumcision of our heart, which is a seal of righteousness. The word wait in the Greek language does refer to passive waiting, does not refer to passive waiting, but on the contrary, it is very active, in which all the forces and opportunities available to a person are involved in order to activate this expectation. Because this expectation in the subject of the patience of Christ contains the meaning of activating the return of Christ for the church, or rather, to meditate upon it, be distressed about it, ask about it, and call it to fulfill this promise. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Revelation 22:17. Therefore, we will not forget that in fulfilling this magnified and perfect goal, we will meet the strongest resistance by the organized forces of darkness. Seventh, the selective love of God expressing the patience of Christ in our heart is a result of the fruit of our spirit that comes from the cooperation of our conduct with the conduct of Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5:22 and 23. We must know that each of these mentioned components of the fruit of the Spirit, that are the fruit of the tree of life grown by God in the Eden of our heart, have complete balance because they have the elements of all the other components. And in this unique manner, they verify the authenticity of one another. Long-suffering as the fruit of our spirit is patience in the long run, thanks to which we comprehend the length of Christ in the measurement of the selective love of Christ. 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God Comprehension of the length through like-mindedness with one another according to the teaching of Jesus Christ is our ability to demonstrate the patience of Christ in the long run. To comprehend the length is to comprehend the long-suffering of Christ. The comprehension of the width through like-mindedness with one another according to the teaching of Jesus Christ is the ability to demonstrate goodness in the expansion of our heart for God and for one another. This is what it means to comprehend the width. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, it speak us to children. You also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. You see, long-suffering is tied to sanctification. When a person waiting, he is protected from every rebel, every evil thought. Comprehension of the depth through like depth through like-mindedness with one another, according to the teaching of Jesus Christ, is our meekness, expressed in the depth of our humility and obedience to the will of God. Comprehension of the height through like-mindedness with one another according to the teaching of Jesus Christ is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God as an expression of our hope in the fulfillment of the promises. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, so we, looking upon the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1-2. person who has the patience of Christ is someone who has accepted and been fertilized by the seed of the patience of Christ. Whereas an impatient person is someone who has accepted the seed of the word expressed in the patience of Christ, but has refused to fertilize himself with the seed that yields the faith of God, so that he can demonstrate his obedience. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation 3.10 I want to remind you that there exists a big difference between the seed of the word and the fruit of the word. Between the seed of the word and the fruit of the word. We fertilize ourselves with the seed of the word of the patience of Christ to offer fruit expressed in patience that is yielded by the proclamation of the faith of our heart.
Therefore, to keep the word of the patience of Christ is confidence and trust that we hold firm to the end. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Building occurs through this long-suffering. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence in the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. So you see here, if we keep, to keep means to long suffer. If we keep this promise, if we keep it until the end, hold fast to it until the end. Imagine a person, Apostle Paul, who had known the promise of God, that what he must do, and all of a sudden he is led out from beyond the city and he is stoned. But he believes that he has not yet fulfilled, and despite he is stoned, he continues to believe that he is going to fulfill his calling in the flesh. And because he believed, despite that he was killed with stones, when the disciples came, he was resurrected. He came out, he rose up, and he went with them. He continued to believe that he is going to fulfill all that God would say. And because God had not yet said, fulfilled what he had promised, he began to believe. When the ship had drowned, he had drowned along with them, and he was day and night in the depth, and he had died. But because he continued to believe and he was firm in the promise, God took him from the depths of the water, and he resurrected him, and he then again began to continue to praise God. I want you to understand that patience, that long-suffering, long-suffering in the long run, we can await for this promise. If God has placed something in your account, He is going to absolutely fulfill it. Immediately, just wait for God to fulfill it. Pray for it and wait. Patience expressed in keeping confidence and trust in the promise that we have is possible only in one case. When in the dwelling of our Heavenly Father, which is our earthly body, we accept with faith the resurrection of Christ in our body as a son of our Heavenly Father we begin to rejoice, calling the faith of our heart the inexistent as if it is existent. Keeping the promise in our heart that is tied to the adoption of the redemption of our earthly body is keeping the patience of Christ. The component of patience in accepting our and keeping our love toward God is so important that the Holy Spirit prompted Apostle Paul to show in his letter that if we do not grow the fruit of patience in our heart that would express our love toward God and keeping confident and trust in the promise of hope, we will lose our salvation and inherit perdition along with the impatient. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Just as Abraham, he had long suffered. He had to be patient for a very long time. That is why he had received what was promised, and he became the father of all believers. That's why we also are told to look 
to look at your father Abraham and to Sarah, the one who gave birth to you. I have called him Abraham, and he has his descendants. So, such descendants that is impossible to count in the stars. There is going to be more who are saved than those who perish because of all those kids who have been aborted, because all of those who, out of the 100% who are born on the earth, there remain very few. And 97% die in the womb or uh, up until the year, to the first year of age they die. Now imagine what, what kind of amount of saved people there are going to be. Because out of those who have come to the church, there are going to be few who are saved. There are many who are going to come. Many are called, but few are chosen. Because those who are called are not going to want to long suffer. They want to receive everything, everything immediately now and in this life. That's why Apostle Paul wanted to give birth to those children who are going to long suffer with faith until the very end. Revelation 2, 26. These are the words of Apostle John spoken by the Holy Spirit. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Pay attention. God will give us authority over the nations. Who are these nations, these Gentiles? These Gentiles, nations who live in the land of Canaan, who consider it their land, but who do not accept circumcision because the Egyptians were circumcised. It is not written that this uncircumcised Egyptian, everywhere in Scripture is written this circumcised Philistine. Now, who are these Gentiles who are uncircumcised and that God is going to give us authority over these Gentiles. These Gentiles, uncircumcised, are our unbridled desires. And God says, I am going to give you authority over them. You are going to have power over these feelings. Because today, many saints fall because they do not have authority over their own lusts, their desires. And God wants to give us this authority. And He says, those who overcome and keep my works until the end, through long suffering shown in the love of Christ, God will bring us to victory over our emotions, and we are going to lead them to fulfilling the will of God. Amen. Make me bow our knees, for whom it is impossible, their heads, we will pray. And all those who desire to challenge their fleshly impatience in achievement of the promise of God, whether it be healing, whether it be freedom from sin, from dependence on sin, or some kind of fear, you can come here and you can repent before the Lord and promise Him that to th in this day you are not going to be foolish anymore. You are going to thank God for what you have in Christ Jesus, calling the inexistent as existent. And you're going to allow Him to decide Himself when to free you and when to heal you in your bodies. Continue to not pay attention to your lusts. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Accept on the foundation of Scripture, accept this order, you are going to become the happiest people ever. You, the Holy Spirit is in this place. We wait for you up here. 
The Holy Spirit is here to help you be freed from shame, from fear, from illness and sin. Amen. I will pray along with you with your prayer. Pray along with me, your eyes closed. This is an element of your secret room. Your hands raised to the heavens. This is the symbol of your readiness to receive from God what He desires to give to you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with a broken heart, with my doubts that I hate, with my impatience that I reject and condemn, with my pain, with my fears, with my dependencies, I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, I love you, I open my heart and I ask you to enter it and be the king and master of my life, my faith, my long-suffering. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins and your transgressions are forgiven you in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come upon you with His holy face. Have mercy upon you. May He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands among you, but not draw near to you. May all of these blessings come upon you and on your descendants, and may they be fulfilled upon you, and all the people will say, Amen. And now, all of us together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.